Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, and we're in uh, verse 25, and we'll be reading through verse 34. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and your, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Harvard professor uh, Talbin Shahar teaches the most famous class at Harvard on the psychology of happiness. And in it, he tells uh, students regularly, uh, or he asks them, excuse me, regularly, do you struggle with worry and anxiety? And at Harvard, almost every student just says yes. And he says, the only people I know that don't struggle or have a problem with anxiety at all are psychopaths and dead people. He said, so if you struggle with worry and anxiety at all, that's actually a good sign. It means you're not a psychopath and you're alive. Look, as we... As we look at this text this morning, it's pretty obvious jumping off the page with the theme that Jesus is talking about with worry and anxiety. But I, I want you to hear and take what he says from the angle that the Bible understands that this is a very complicated issue. But I want you to navigate this complication with some knowledge. Um, you know, in the last three years, uh, the number one, or excuse me, um, the CDC and medical experts have diagnosed the number one mental illness in America is anxiety. It has overtaken everything else as the number one thing that people mentally and emotionally struggle with. Now, couple that with over the last uh, 10 years, excuse me, the last, last five years, the Pew Research Center has said that uh, church attendance an acknowledgement of Christianity has decreased 10%. That's the largest decrease for such a time that we've gone through in the history of this country. 
And I don't think you can say it's just too sharp of a coincidence to say as we have tried to eliminate God in our life that our struggle with anxiety has largely increased. Now that doesn't mean that what Jesus says here is you just need to hear these verses, apply them, and life will be better. Uh, Tim Lane, uh, a psychologist, Christian psychologist, in his book, Living Without Worry, he says we must go deeper than trite definitions looking into anxiety and worry as if we are only victims of this struggle. And at the same time, we must get more profound than trite answers as if you are never a victim of something beyond your control. But as we navigate this text, here's what I want you to think about. How, How much of your life is ruled by something that causes worry and anxiety on a weekly basis for you? That's one of the most motivating things that something can use in your life to control you. And in the ancient Near East, what kings would do to rule people, to get them to adhere to their control, to adhere to their leadership, to follow their laws and rules, the number one thing that they would use to get people to do that is fear and anxiety. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you have Jesus coming as a king giving us the edict of his new kingdom. And here's what he says as a king three times. Do not be anxious. He says it in verse 25, in verse 31, in verse 34. Do not be anxious. That Jesus is a king who wants to come into our lives and create a kingdom not where fear and anxiety causes us to follow him, but where fear and anxiety becomes less and less a part of our life. And if, that's, if you want that this morning, let's look at this text, and I think there's sort of five parts to this, to navigating anxiety. One, you've got to understand what it is. Two, you have to learn its cause. Three, you have to face the foolishness. Four, you've got to believe that remedy. And five, you have to practice the antidote. Now, there's, there's five points here. I promise we're not going to be here for the next 50 minutes. Some of these are brief. But first, you have to understand what it is. Look, in in order to get Jesus' view of anxiety, we've got to get our finger on it. Um, My my wife has done this probably more than any woman in in this room, but she just regularly wants to change the curtains and blinds in the house. And so in order to do that, I've got to put up new uh, brackets for these curtain rods. And I don't know who designs these. But I don't know why they can't design them with room to, f- to hold it and fit the drill underneath it at the same time. That's like never been created. And so what happens is you're like holding the bracket and you're trying to get your finger on it. And you can never do it. And so you're creating like three or four holes there. <laughs> and you've just got to keep moving it around. Look, in order to get anxiety, you've got to get your finger on it. And to get a finger on it, I mean, you've got to under- understand where it lives. And Jesus says this in verse 25. He says, do not be anxious about your life. And then in verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Now, where where anxiety lives and what it is, is it lives in the intangible and in the future. It lives in all the uncertain places of our lives. It lives in the intangible. He says, do not be anxious about your life. The Greek word there for life 
is the word, not biologically, your actual physical envelope. It's, it's the word for psyche, where we get our personality or our reputation. That is, what we are so often are anxious about is the concern about something that's not clear, about something that's not objective, about something you actually can't get a, gr- a grip on, about what people think about you, or about the measure of your life right now. And so what we're often so driven by anxiety about is something that you actually can't even parse out in the moment. Jerry Seinfeld has this um, amazing bit where he says, you know, the number one fear and anxiety in America is public speaking. He says, number two is death. Death, dying, actually not living anymore, is behind public speaking number two which means the average person at a funeral would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Because what we're, we're controlled by is not something so much that is real and objective and concrete, it's, it's the imaginative. But he also says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, the future. That is, anxiety, it, it lives not almost in the present, but it lives in the what if or what might happen, or what could happen. So for example, if, if you and I are sitting in a coffee shop and talking about something serious, and a Mack truck comes running at the window and looks like it's going to run in the shop and take us out, Jesus does not look at us and say, my child, do not be anxious. He says, get up and run. But what we so often live with anxiety is, is it's not the immediate fear, because there's a difference between immediate concern and actual things to be afraid of in this world and anxiety. But where anxiety so often lives is tomorrow. Now, here's, here's what we're learning here about quickly about the nature of anxiety is that it, it's some, it is definitely more than this. And the physiological and the emotional and the circumstantial and the issues with trauma in our background absolutely come into play as we work through this in life. But it's not less than a belief. And what Jesus is unpacking for us here is underneath anxiety is a deep belief. In fact, when he says in verse 34... Do not worry about tomorrow, for today has sufficient troubles for itself. That's actually a well-known proverb that was cast throughout the Roman Empire, that actually people of all beliefs said to one another commonly throughout the time that Jesus says is actually pretty good counsel and advice, and he uses it. But what he, the way he uses it here is he says, like, this is not just... Uh, good words and fortune cookie uh, sayings for the moment. He's framing the whole thing and the counsel in light of our relationship with God. What that means is every single time that we struggle with worry and anxiety, what we're actually sort of saying is, I know how life should be going and God is getting it wrong, which is a profound belief in life. And if you don't get your finger on that, the problem is you will start blaming it all on circumstances in your life, and you'll move from circumstance to circumstance, 
hoping that it will give you an anxious free life and you'll create holes all on the wall of your life. That's what it is. Secondly, you've got to under- learn its cause. Now, what causes us to live uh, with the imaginative and the, un- and the unknown? Well, Jesus says, do not be anxious. This word anxious that he uses in the Greek is the word neo, which actually means to be double-minded, to have a divided focus. Now, think about the context that we talked about last week and frame it with what he's saying here. Because with the text right before this, what he says is, do not be anxious, or excuse me, he says, the week before, he says, do not store up earthly treasure, but store up heavenly treasure. And what he says is, do, you can't serve two masters. You can't live for earthly treasure and for heavenly treasure. So what he's saying here is when he says, do not have a divided focus, he's pitting our life living for the kingdom of God or living for things of this world. Which is why he says, do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will wear or what clothing you will have. Now, he's not saying those things don't matter. In fact, a lot of his ministry and so much of the testimony of Scripture says, you must make sure poor and left out people have these things. That, that, that actually giving these things is the ministry of the kingdom. What, what he says is, do not live with a divided focus where these things run your life because when they do, that's where anxiety comes from. Th- think of it like this. Look, when you're driving down the road with your family in the minivan and the kids are fighting in the back, and you're driving through traffic. Why is that so difficult? And think of the emotion that comes to you. And why does that always come that way? Or when you're driving down the road, and your phone pings, and it's a text message, and you look and you know who's saying it, and you think, oh my goodness, I've got to answer this, while you're driving down a very significant Los Angeles freeway. And so you pick up the phone and you're navigating through traffic and you have a wreck. Why? Because your mind and your heart is focused on two different things. And Jesus says, that's what your life is like. And that's why you're always falling into anxiety. Look, the the Bible, when it talks about sin and dysfunction in our life, rarely talks about it from somebody who wants nothing to do with God. In almost every story, in every picture we have of it, is, is it's somebody who wants God and the things of this world. That we want both to work. We want to have our cake and we want to eat it too. And, and when we're living this way, when we're trying to live for God's kingdom and We want comfortability. We want security for the material things in this world. We want to be known and loved by the things that we can accumulate. When we live that way, Jesus says, that is the road to anxiety and why it masters your life. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, how do we live? Like, how how in the world do we navigate these things that actually are important? Well, think about, put the dilemma this way. 
You can have God and His approval and His unbound love and, and approval of your life and not know if you're going to have a job in six months. And if you'll be able to pay rent or pay your mortgage. That's scenario one. Scenario two, you will always be able to pay your rent or mortgage. And you'll have lots of things in this world. And you'll never have to worry if you can pay for your kid's school or go on cool vacations or do those things. But you don't know if God really loves you. And his stamp of approval is on your life. Now, which scenario do you think will give you peace and contentment in this life? The fact that almost all of us think the latter one does is why we're so anxious. And that's the cause that Jesus gives us. So you have to understand what it is. You have to learn its cause. But thirdly, you have to face the foolishness. And this one's sort of, sort of quick. Jesus says this in verse 27. Who of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Now, he's being a little bit comedic here, but follow his logic. He's saying, when you worry and when you stay up being anxious, here's what you're saying to yourself. I'm being responsible right now. I'm planning. I'm taking this seriously. And the harder I get into this, the more I'm actually delaying the problem and procrastinating it, which is what a fool thinks. Because you're not doing any of that. You're not accomplishing any of that. Because what we believe when we get into anxiety is actually this is the most responsible and adult-like route that I could be taking facing this difficult thing in my life. That if I stay up all night sleepless, wrestling, I'll actually be better at my presentation in the morning, that that meeting will all go better. I think I've told you this before, but it's so profound, I've got to say it again. Blitz Gas Can Company was uh, the company that if you went to a gas station and you needed one of those little portable gas uh, holders for gas, you would buy. They went out of business. The reason they went out of business is uh, litigation issues because they did not have written on their gas cans that if you pour this on fire, it will hurt you. So here, here, here's the logic here behind this. You had thousands of people who sat around fires that said, we need to put this out. Well, I heard liquids put out fires. Well, here's, some, here's one in this gas can. Why don't we pour this on here? And you had people pouring the gas on the fire, hoping that it would extinguish it, but it actually wounded them and killed many. And Jesus says, that's what you do with worry. You are so sure this is going to eliminate all of the struggles of your life, but all it does is pour gas on the fire. Corey Ten Boom, um, profoundly, she just said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Look, so many mistakes in our life, with our finances, with our relationships, with our self-identity, 
come out of worry. Look, some of the worst mistakes companies have made, falling into greed, lying on our taxes, some of the worst relationships mistakes people have made, uh, rushing to marry somebody who's not a believer or who, who actually doesn't love you just because you want a relationship or you're worried that you'll live your life alone or you give yourself to somebody sexually because you're worried if you don't do it, they'll leave you. Or you worry about your figure, that you will not be beautiful, and so you harm yourself. You put yourself through things that actually are dangerous to you. It's all the foolishness of worry. And if you want to grow out of it, one of the aspects, if you want to be a wise person in life, is you've just got to face the foolishness of that. That turning to worry and anxiety, it, it, does not, it doesn't add a single hour to the span of your life. Jesus tells us what it is, tells us his cause, asks us to face the foolishness, but fourth, you've got to believe the remedy. That if anxiety is the belief that I know how life should be going and God is getting it wrong, then the, the remedy that Jesus wants us to believe and experience this morning is to understand that he actually knows what's best and he's getting it right. Look what he says in verse 26. He says this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? He says, look at the birds. Take the view from the bird's eye view. See, what you and I have is a ground-level view of our life. We can see things, and we are so sure what we need and what should be happening. And the fact that it's not going our way makes us put God in the dock and say, you're not, you're not unfolding this with wisdom and care. And Jesus wants us to step back and just think and to look from a bird's eye view. Here's what I mean by that. I think it was uh, Randy Holderfield's Normandy Invasion book. But he said this, on D-Day, on June 6th, that Admiral Spatz was over the Air Force and Eisenhower is over the troops on the ground. He said within a couple hours, they got different reports about what was happening on the Normandy beaches. That as they're attacking the Germans, Eisenhower is getting reports that this is failing. And this is not going to work. And we need to think about a retreat. And within a couple hours, Admiral Spatz got a completely different report from the pilots overseeing the beach saying, the troops are penetrating. We're taking the beach. We're pressing through the German lines, and we're going to win this battle. And Holderfield says in his book, now who was right? 
And what we know from history is that the people who were right were the ones who had the bird's eye view. And what you and I so lack in our life is a bird's eye view. The ability to understand how God is using everything in your life, everything in your neighbor's life, everything in the world to put all things together for the good of those who know him. And that one day we will look back on this world and we will see that he used everything together. Things that we had no idea were important and significant in our life. Things that we were sure should have gone this way with things that actually went this way. All together for the glory of his kingdom. And the reason we can't see that now is we don't have a bird's eye view. But what Jesus asks us to take is a view that says, your father knows what you need. This is what he says in verse 32. Look, people who look at God and say, you do not care for me, you don't know what I need, he says they're Gentiles, which is a Greek way of just saying people who don't know God. He says, your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he cares for you. There's a place in Peter's letter where he says this in in chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Now, why? Not because it's smart. Not because it's sinful not to. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you. Do you know, the thing right now that's keeping you up at night, that's burdening your life, your heavenly Father cares for that and longs for you to not be burdened by that, and longs for you to live a life where you are not run by that thing. And how do we know that He cares for us? And He cares for that. Because He spared the one who's taking the bird's eye view right here. It's astonishing Jesus tells us to do this. Because towards the end of his life, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would face the most anxious moment anybody would ever face. He's staring not into something that's intangible or something that's in the future. He's staring into something that's in the immediate moment that's as concrete and real as any of us would ever face, the cup of the wrath of God. And he stares into it, and the anxiety is so heavy that he begins to sweat blood. And Hebrews 5 says he dove into the ground in loud cries and fears because it was so overwhelming. But into that anxious moment, Jesus doesn't run. He doesn't walk away. And he doesn't turn from God. He says, that cup of wrath, you hand it to me. Not my will, but thy will be done. And think about Jesus. The Son of God, the most precious thing 
to God the Father. Would you be willing to spare the most precious thing in your life for anybody in this room who's struggling with something hard? I wouldn't. But Paul says in Romans 8 that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Look, the most precious thing to God the Father, he was willing to spare it for you. He knows what you need. Doubt no more. Here's how you begin to apply the remedy for your anxiety. Stop living your life in light of what you don't know to be true. And start living your life in in light of what you know to be true. Which is that your Father cares for you. And He knows what you need. And He will do everything to put it all together for the glory of his kingdom. Look, to deal with anxiety, you've got to understand what it is. You've got to learn its cause. You've got to face the foolishness. You've got to believe that remedy. But lastly and quickly, you've got to practice the antidote. Now, what do I mean? How do you take that belief of a bird's eye view and actually make it alive in your life? Well, Jesus says this in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, this is a well-known text that the church has said and encouraged one another with for years. But did you ever know that it was in the context of Jesus telling us not to deal with anxiety? That actually, if you want to walk away from anxiety, this is his counsel. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what does he mean? He says, seek the kingdom. Now, why the kingdom? I think he means this. You will be as anxious in life as the most stable or unstable thing in your life. That all of us are building our life on something, either in this world or on the eternal kingdom of God. But you will be as anxious or anxious-free as the most stable thing in your life. And for most of us, the functional part of our life is built on something in this world, which is why it's like this. When my job is going well, I feel secure and life is going well. And when it's not going well, I feel anxious and full of worry. When my kids are healthy and everyone's safe, I feel like life could get any better, but when they're sick and life is threatened, I feel undone. And Jesus says, stop standing on that. Stand on the kingdom of God, which is an unshakable reality. That is not threatened by darkness, by evil, by sin, or by death. In fact, the harder those things come at it, the brighter the star in the darkness of the night. And Jesus says, seek that. Build your life and stability in the psyche and tomorrow on that. And he says, seek it. Now, this is a present active imperative. Which what that just simply means is it's a habitual action. 
It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. And he says, make the lifestyle of your daily life say, I will build it on this unshakable kingdom. Think of, it, think of it like working out. Now, it's early January. This is a common thing. You eat a million cookies and cake in December, and you go, I want to lose weight. I want to get better. I want to f- feel better. The worst thing you can do is think, I need to go out and crash diet. I've got to lose it all today. If you go into anxiety and you think, I want to be rid of this tonight, it will be like trying to crash diet. You may have a good day or two, but it will not last. Everybody says the best way to get in shape, the best way to lose weight, the best way to be fit is not to do these sudden extreme things, but to go, you know what I'm going to do is every week this year, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go for a long walk four times a week. And I'm going to stop eating donuts every morning. Or I'm going to stop, you know, intake this thing that's really bad for my life. The way to take anxiety out of your life is simple, small steps of living for the kingdom. That you go, I will daily, I will habitually remind myself throughout the week the most secure thing in my life and the only secure thing in my life is God's love, is the kingdom of God. And if you will habitually do that, you will, you will not feel in the moment like anxiety is fleeing from my life. But I promise you a year from now, whatever is burdening your life will feel less heavy. Look, let's close with this exercise. Close your eyes. What's the one thing that's keeping you up late at night that is so heavy you can't live anymore with this burden? Your father cares for that. Right now, take it to him. And say, Lord, this year, 2022, I want to habitually live in the stability of your love and not with that thing running my life. I need thee every hour. Your Father cares for you. Believe that. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.